Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in the book of Romans chapter number five. Romans chapter number five. While you're turning, let me ask you this. How many of you have some propensity to losing your keys? Raise your hand. How many of you lose your keys? How many of you have ever lost your keys? Let's see that. How many of you still have keys missing? Raise your hands. We're just glad you're here this morning. Hey, out of curiosity, how many of you have some keys on your key ring and you really don't know what they do? How many of you have some of those? Several of you, okay. But you just never know, so hold on to it. Maybe someday it will open something. Keys are important to us. They communicate the idea of access, that I can get into something that I need to get into. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter five begins to present to us something of the grand master key that he's about to share with the church at Rome and he couldn't wait to share it. And by the way, this is something that anyone who would by faith accept it can have access to. And he's almost, have you ever seen someone almost giddy with excitement? The Apostle Paul is in this passage of scripture almost lyrical with what he shares. In fact, one man writing on this passage said, here is one of Paul's great lyrical passages in which he almost sings the intimate joy of his confidence in God. Trusting faith has done what the works of the law could never do. It has given us peace with God. God. Now to summarize where we are, how did we get to this place in Romans chapter 5? Paul gives us two verses that detail both our acceptance and our newfound access, our, our grand master key, so to speak, regarding the very presence of Almighty God. Now this is not simply God's tolerance of us. It is his unhindered full acceptance of us and it's not just an awareness of supply but access the grand master key to the treasure house so let's look today at these two wonderful verses of scripture in Romans 5 1 and 2 as the dawning of our deliverance comes more fully into view it's not just that there are some beautiful hues of orange and pink and purple and red on the horizon. It's truly in Romans chapter five, verses one and two, it's as if you can see the glow of the sun that has crested the horizon and things are about to get wonderfully brilliant. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse number one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There was a guy whose name is Tertius and Tertius was the scribe, so to speak. He's the one that the Apostle Paul was dictating the book of Romans to. You see his name and, and his function, his role at, towards the end of Romans chapter 16. So can you imagine this scribe, Tertius, who, who obviously has some relationship with the Apostle Paul, but this scribe who's writing. 
God the Holy Spirit's revealed these truths to the Apostle Paul, and Paul is, as he is speaking through these truths, saying, okay, Tertius, write this. Now think about what it is that this man has been writing and the weight of the words that he is now putting down on, on, on these scrolls, on, on some written form. He has just recently penned, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand this. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. He's the guy that is writing, therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And he has been writing that idea over and over. That has been so deep, deeply now drilled into his conscience that, 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 oh, the weight of sin and the law on this man who is writing out these words. Now, this is pure speculation on my part. But I don't think it is, it is far-fetched speculation that when Paul gets to Romans chapter 5 and he says, okay, Tertius, write this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And Tertius may, may just at this point now, he's, he's writing and, and maybe he just says, please, Rabbi, please, Paul, please pause for a moment and and Paul looks down at Tertius and there are tears just streaming down his cheeks and, and they're, they're dripping now down onto that which he is writing on. And he says, I just, need to, I just need to think again about what it is that you said. We have peace with God. That is the cessation of war. Those who are on opposite sides those with whom there was no human remedy to the problem of this division. Therefore, we now have peace with God by faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And I have access now to the very presence of Almighty God and all that that carries with it. Paul, <laughs> let me just think about what it is that is my standing with God because of the person of Jesus Christ. For a Jew to even think about having access into God's presence is beyond comprehension. What, what is it that a Jew has grown up understanding that no man can see God? I mean, when, when God reveals himself on, on Mount Sinai and there are thunderings and lightnings and there are barricades that keep them back, uh, Moses, you go up and you speak with God. Even Moses himself has to hide himself behind the cleft of the rock because no man can handle the unfiltered glory, holiness of Almighty God. So how could any person? There's only one way you can stand in the presence of God and not be completely consumed. And that is if you have a right to be there. And do you know the one who gives you the right to stand? in the very presence of Almighty God, the one who gives you access, the one who is the grand master key to the throne room of God, 
It is the person of Jesus Christ. And now we don't even come in with some timidity. We don't even come in saying, I I hope I'm going to be okay. We come into the presence of God with boldness for a Jew who has known all his days that the presence of God means to be consumed and hear that now we have access, it's almost unheard of. It's quite possible that that this parchment needed to be replaced because of the tears that freely flowed from his eyes. I read a man that asked his sister an important question and, and his question was simply this. What do you believe is the greatest emotion a person can experience? If you were asked that question, how would you answer? What do you believe is the most significant emotion that a person can experience? And her answer came very quick, almost surprisingly to him. He had an assumption in his mind as to how she's going to answer. How will she respond? What's the most important emotion? And he assumed it would be love or joy or maybe even gratitude, but her very fast her quick immediate response was hmm, relief relief and as he began to think about that he began to give it even more weight this idea of relief think about how powerful it is to hear even simple words like you passed ah relief or not guilty relief or you don't owe anything relief or how about even more significant your child has been found relief or they're going to be okay relief or there is therefore now no condemnation (sighs) relief What is it that he has provided for people like you and me? According to this passage, justification is just the beginning. There is something that takes us so much further than this, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way, there are many locks in my house and all with different keys but I have one master key which opens them all. So the Lord has many treasuries and secrets all shut up from the carnal minds with locks which they cannot open. But he who walks in fellowship with Jesus possesses the master key which will admit him to all the blessings of the covenant, yea, to the very heart of God. It's as if you and I have been given the very key to the treasure house and invited to use it to access supply whenever you need it, whenever you want it. Many years ago, I met a family that owned an ice cream and homemade candy shop. And um, they made these wonderful candies. And uh, so I met this family and I actually saw them on several occasions. And so I'd go back and I'd see them. I was traveling in the area. Whenever I was in the area, I stayed with this family. And I can remember one time they took me to their candy shop and they'd always send me candies and they would, you know, provide me with different things. But one time they, we were at the candy shop and they said, hey, come on back here. So I came around to the back of the counter and, and then they said, hey, here's boxes, take whatever you want. 
Have you ever heard the expression, like a kid in the candy shop? Okay. Listen, that was me right then. Like, wow, whatever you want. Let me ask you this. Would I have honored them if I took one little cherry cordial, a chocolate covered cherry and said, oh, thank you so much. Put it in the box. And would that have honored them? They would have looked at me like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 no. We said take whatever you want. I'll take two. Listen, I, I did what they expected. <laughs> oh, you know. I was the kid in the candy shop. Let, let me ask you, if you go to God and you just load up on his resources, his supply, his power, his strength, his presence, his comfort. If you load up, is he any the diminished? Is he going to be lacking the next time you go? Are you depriving someone else of supply because you took so much? Do you know, in, in very real ways, we honor God when we go and we take all the necessary resources from the treasure house of his supply. So what does the key to the treasure house actually provide? Well, the first thing that we've been talking about, it provides access to God by whom also we have access. There's a Greek word that's used for access, prosagoge, prosagoge. It's an interesting word. The word describes this process of being ushered into the court of a king. And by right of your access, having opportunity to address and interact with the ruler. Really what Paul is doing is he is ushering us into some completely new territory called grace. We didn't have this kind of access before, but now are ushered in with unprecedented opportunity. Commentator William Barclay wrote, it's as if Paul was saying, Jesus ushers us into the very presence of God he opens the door for us to the presence of the king of kings. And when that door is opened, what we find is grace. Not condemnation, not judgment, not vengeance, but sheer, undeserved, incredible kindness of God. Some religions teach that, that praying to the saints or praying to Mary um, it, it may give you, or even praying to some priest, some man here on earth, that they will give you some kind of special access to the one who really has what you need. But let me ask you, why would you go to a cabinet member if you have access to the president? Why would you go to a lesser governor if you have access to the king? And do you know what the apostle Paul is telling us? He says, listen, you don't have to go through anyone you are already coming in the name and person of Jesus Christ. So now go boldly to the one who has all that you stand in need of. Our access to God is unhindered because of who we are with. We are actually in Christ Jesus. So his unrestricted access to God becomes our own. He alone brings us before the Father, not our works, not our baptism, not our priest, just Jesus. Let, let me ask this. Are you living like you have this kind of access into the presence of the one with unlimited supply? 
Do other people look at you and your life and the manner with which you conduct your life from day to day, moment by moment, do they look at you and say, wow, they must have a good father. Their father takes such good care of them because this is the access that's been given to every child of our good father. Having this kind of access to the king in his storehouse, what should this produce in me? Well, I, I think, first of all, I see it in, in chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. Peace with God. Do you know, one of the things that should be demonstrated in my life is some sense of, of like, wow, I am peaceful. That there's no war raging within Listen, this is the truth. If there is some constant internal battle, there's something that we're not appropriating that God desires for us to have. You say, well, that says peace with God, right? There's no more battle between me and God. I understand that. But did you know there's also something additionally that we get, not only peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. Peace that passeth understanding to keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. This is typical of one that has that kind of access to God. But it goes beyond that. Not only am I peaceful, we see I am also provisioned, but my God, Philippians 4:19, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I have the master key, the grand master key to that storehouse, full provision. Yeah, I am peaceful, I'm provisioned. I'm also productive because of his presence. The Bible says in John 15, five, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. I start to, to produce something that is consistent with the one that I call my father. Not only am I peaceful and provisioned and productive, but I am powerful. You say, no, no, no. Paul said that when I am weak, yeah, when he is weak, there is some newfound power that brings great glory to Almighty God. Jesus said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. With this kind of access, shouldn't there be a daily recognition by each of us and by those around us, that we are the fully supplied, fully provisioned children of a good father who cares for every need of all his children. Now, we might ask, does all mankind have the same access to God? And, and I would say, well, they can, but they, they don't all have it right now. That this is the kind of provision that is reserved for those who are part of the family. Years ago, I was seated in my office and a staff member came just bolting into my office and um, they just opened the door. In fact, it startled me. I was sitting at my desk and, and he came, you know, just, just bounding in and opened the door and said, hey, pastor, I have a quick question for you. And I said, hey, hey, whoa, hang on just a second. I said, knock first. He's like, oh, no, no, it's just going to take a second. I said, well, it's going to take a second to knock, knock first, okay? Well, he never did that again. He never just came, boom, bounding in. He'd always, you know, give a little, yeah, come on in. But let me tell you who I never told to knock first. You already know the answer, right? Well, I never told my little son, honestly. If my son, a little boy, comes, hey, dad, 
Like, hey, bud, how you doing? I mean, big smile on my face. Hey, good to see you. I did not say, hey, you back out there, go knock on the door. But I told that to a grown man. But if this little boy comes walking in, hey, good to see you. Guess who else I don't tell to knock? My wife. For a lot of reasons, okay. <laughs> hey, babe, good to see you. Come on. I mean, I'm not going to tell her to knock on my door. Why? Because she's family. Do, do you know, everybody doesn't have the same access to God. But they can. Everyone can be family. And we are family through the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, let's notice what else we have. We have access to God. Whoa, wow. This is therefore now because I'm justified. What do I have? I have access with God. But that's not all. And this is not so subtle. And I, and I don't want us to miss it. Yeah, we have access, but do you know what we also have? Romans 5, 2 again, by whom also we have access by, by faith into this grace, wherein we stand. Wherein we stand. We have access to God. We also have standing with God. Standing with God. The word stand here, it's just telling us we have this new position. This new place of belonging. Now I have standing I have a place. I have a position. I have literally, if you're talking about the family dinner, I have a seat at the table. I, I've, I've got a place now that is reserved for me. The standing of the children of God is established, settled, made firm. It cannot be altered. For my standing to change, the standing of Christ would have to change. Did you hear that? For my standing to change, the standing of Christ would have to change. And his standing is settled. Hebrews 1.8, but under the sun, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. How secure is the throne of Jesus Christ? It is eternally secure. Well, guess how secure you are? If you are in Christ Jesus, your standing is eternally secure. And when we speak about our standing, please know, in fact, in studying for this message, I saw some who said, hey, we're in a new state. But I don't really endorse that, that idea, that thinking. I think it goes beyond a new state. For example, we use expressions like the state of the union. Okay, hey, what's the current snapshot? What's the picture of the state of the union? At sometimes, at some points, the state of the union might be very strong. At some point, we might say, oh, the state of the union is very shaky. We might talk about the state of a job, the state of my employment, the state of our marriage, the state of our children. And all of these things we see vacillate greatly based on circumstances or stage. But not your, not your standing not your standing. Your standing is now positional and secured in Christ. H.A. Ironside said, state is the condition of the soul. It is experience. Standing never varies. State is fluctuating and depends on the measure in which I walk with God. My standing is always perfect because it is measured by Christ's acceptance. You know, every year, 
Hundreds of students, in fact, thousands at this point, have walked across this very platform. Students who are receiving the recognition of the completion of, of some serious years of work, study. They're receiving different levels of recognition and, and, and they will walk across here, they will shake the hand of the president of Pensacola Christian College and there will be conferred upon them a new degree. I wonder if you recall when that may have happened to some of you. Did you wake up the next day and say, did that really happen? Like, wow, I, I don't feel any different. Maybe even that very day, you just went from a student to a graduate. But there's something internally that says, wow, I, I don't feel like anything happened. But did something happen? Something very significant changed. Do you remember when you first got married? Yesterday, I performed a wedding and, and I said to that couple, I now pronounce that you are man and wife, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder, you may kiss the bride. And he did, okay? Do you remember when you got married and, and you're driving off as this new couple saying, wow, are we really allowed to do this? <laughs> well, do you know you really are? Do you know why? Not necessarily because your state has so much changed. Like, oh, I, I'm a little like, well, I'm getting used to. But let me tell you what did just change. Your standing changed. Something officially took place. And now you were not married and now you are married. You were not a graduate and now you are a graduate. You were lost and now you are found. You were at war and now you are at peace. Something changed about your standing. We, we can conclude the works and grace for salvation are mutually exclusive. And we pass from one unto the other. So we see the key to the treasure house unlocks our access to God. And it gives us this new standing with God. And notice what else it provides. We look a little bit further in, in verse number two, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. For the believer, it does not mean wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. I mean, how many times do we use words like that? Oh, I wish that. We say those kind of things all the time. Don't you have some wishes that you wish were true? That's not the idea behind our hope. I, I'm, a, I'm a Michigander, I grew up in Michigan. In the winter, I suspect there was not a, an evening that I didn't close my eyes, that I didn't have some wishful thinking for the greatest blizzard that Michigan has ever seen. Oh, I wanted to go to sleep and I prayed fervent, earnest prayers, okay? Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Because I wanted to wake up and look outside and see this blissful blanket of snow, which meant no school for the day. Glory, hallelujah, okay? Okay, so that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm wishing for. That, that is not the hope of a believer. There's something far more substantial, something more significant than just this wishful thinking. Hope for a Christian means an assured expectation. It, it, is, it is more sure than this, but maybe this helps us at least understand or illustrate it. Have you ever uh, purchased a ticket before? 
like a sporting event or you're going to this concert, or you're going to some event and you have the ticket in your hand and that ticket says, I now have access to, I actually have a seat, I have a row, I have this view, I have a place at this event. And do you know what the hope for a Christian means? It means my ticket has been punched. I am securely settled regarding this earnest, real expectation about where I will be for all eternity because of Jesus Christ. The idea of hope for a Christian, it, is, it says we rejoice in hope. Not, not we feel good about a wish. We have something literally, the word rejoice, it carries the idea to boast about, to make much of, to tell other people about. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, what does this do for us? Because I have the, the key, the grand master to the treasure house of God. I have access to God, standing with God, hope in God. And what we just touched on, I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you remember what Jesus was given? What Jesus was given the Bible says it this way. Let, let me read a few verses. Listen to what is it that Jesus is the possessor of. The Bible says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 18. It says, for as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers. But here's what we were redeemed with but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, was made known, was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope, your expectation, might be in God. What is it, because of all that Christ has accomplished, what is he the possessor of? Gave him glory. What has he done with that? Certainly he has not relinquished it, but I find this interesting. The Bible says in John chapter 17, verse number 22, Jesus, in this beautiful prayer that he is praying, John 17, 22, speaking to the Father, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And Paul reminded the believers at Colossae, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye appear with him in glory. There is now this sense of shared glory. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Do you know what it was that Jesus was always doing? He was always rightly representing the Father. If you saw Jesus' action, you saw an action consistent with God the Father. Do you know what you and I are the, the, the we, what we've been invited to? To share in the glory of Jesus Christ. That a person now, because of our access, because of our standing, because of our hope, because of our glory, a person should look at our lives and say, wow, I see Jesus in you. What, what an incredible privilege. For another person, 
to say, mm, you look familiar to me. Do you see children, and, and my wife's better at this than I am, but she can look at a baby and she can say, oh, she has your nose, okay. There's some familiarity. There's some family resemblance. And do you know what we have as, as possessors of the keys to the treasure house? We have some powerful ability to rightly represent Jesus Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, Ah, oh, then it is no more through a glass darkly. No more is there a faint resemblance. We shall be like him and sharers of that unhindered glory. When you are living as if you have full access to God, to all his resources, conducting yourself and communicating the same, then you are giving others the right opinion of almighty God. God is perfectly completely, infinitely willing to give all the choice gifts of heaven to those who have been given access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Gifts to strengthen us, encourage us, gifts to provision us, gifts to keep us from falling. Jesus, in him, all the fullness of the Father dwells and you and I are complete in him. At the beginning of this message, we said the word for access was the Greek word, prosagoge, and that it was the word that describes the process of being ushered into the presence, the court of the king. We have access to God because of Jesus Christ, but the word also has an ongoing meaning. It was used in late Greek to describe the location where ships came in. It was the port or the haven where ships could find safe harbor out of the storms and the tempests of the sea. Prosagoge. Ah, we have found safe harbor. We are free from the ravages of the storm. How wonderful it is that God has granted the blessing of so many things, including the gift of the local church. It's to be a place where believers gather, forming the body of Christ and encouraging and strengthening and rejoicing with one another regarding the greatness and the glory of our God. To speak of his resources and of his supply and how he is making that supply available for us. How we have drawn it from him time and time again and then returned and found that no matter how often we have filled up our wheelbarrow and hauled it away, the treasure house is never diminished. And when we gather, our singing should be contagious. It spurs on and encourages the downtrodden, reminding them of the glory of God. It strengthens the weak and supports the weary. We hear truths from the word of God that remind us of the never-ending supply that is ours to draw from, the standing that is ours, no matter the state we may find ourselves in. And then on Monday... We let our light so shine before men and we live as the fully provisioned children of a good and wise father who has given us the master key to the treasure house. Alexander McLaren once wrote, how shameful it is having the possibility of so much, we should have the actuality of so little. There are a great many Christian people who ought to be ashamed of their moderation. They have gone into the treasure house, stacks of jewels, jars of gold on all sides of them. 
And they have been content to come away with some poor little coin when they might have been rich beyond the dreams of avarice. Brethren, you have been given access to the fullness of God. Whose fault is it if we are empty? Whose fault indeed? May we understand that we have been given the key to the treasure house, the grand master key. And all who are in possession of such a key have all that they stand in need of to successfully navigate the challenges of this life and to live as the fully provisioned children of a good and gracious father.